Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome to Seeds Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Nada Piantic about Again Again, and we have a fascinating conversation talking a lot about reusable coffee cups. I really enjoyed this conversation as we ended up talking about a huge variety of things. For example, ski resorts, Canada, physiotherapy, and the changing attitudes of the next generation. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the things that we talked about. And if you enjoy this, you might want to check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog, because this is episode number 229. What I'm trying to do with Seeds is build up a collection of stories of interesting people who are living lives of purpose. And there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz as well. Now let's get straight into this conversation. So it's a real pleasure to welcome Nada Piantic from Again Again. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Kiora. Uh, it's great to have you on the show because we've met a couple times. And I remember when you were down in Christchurch and you were opening um, down here. And it was really cool to hear what you're involved in in terms of reusable coffee cups. Yeah, that would have been November last year, definitely pre-COVID. Um, I think Christchurch was maybe the third or fourth network that we launched. So we're now nationwide. We've got some big plans. And yeah, things are going really well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm really keen to find out about Again Again. Um, But before we do that, what I always try to do with guests is jump in a time machine and go (laughs) back to find out a little bit of the history or the backstory. Because I find that is often, you know, quite an interesting way to find out why a person's doing what they do today. So in your case, if we could go back and just tell us a little bit about like when you were, say, four or five years old, um, where were you living and what was life like for you? That's a long way back. So I grew up in Timaru in the South Island. I think I probably had what would be a pretty um, normal, idyllic childhood with living with my family um, in a sort of semi-rural town, might qualify as a city these days. Um, <laughs> and yeah, things were, things were lovely. We camped in summer holidays and, you know, we, I was in the school drama club and all of those things that... I've written about in um, in storybooks, really. So was it quite a close-knit community? Yeah, I think it was. My experience throughout life, really, has been that the smaller the community, the closer there is an ease of closeness in a smaller community because everybody knows everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, the reverse can be true, that in really big cities that that closeness isn't assumed. So sometimes you can get subcultures within those big cities and I've I've experienced that as well actually Mm. Um, but certainly as a child it was a small close-knit community Mm. where everyone sort of pitched in and helped people out golly I remember way back in the day our first my first memory of a phone line was a party line so not only were we in a close-knit community we were literally all on the same telephone line (laughs) right yeah. So that's where you would get on and then somebody else would be on, right? And you'd, and you'd have to prearrange the time that you were calling. Is that right? <laughs> or listening to your neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> I remember as a kid, <laughs> there was plenty of that. Everyone had their own call sign. I don't right. remember what else it was, but, you know, long, short might have been ours and someone else's might have been long, long. And so when the phone rang, 
uh, it could be answered by any one of those households. And if it wasn't for you, you would be booted off and someone else would have their conversation. <laughs> that shows how old I am. <laughs> just, you know, well, the fascinating I, thing is it's actually not that long ago, but it shows how quickly <laughs> technology has changed. The fact that we're doing this recording by Zoom and I happen to know that you're on your mobile phone sitting in a car, you know, <laughs> we're having this conversation. Yeah, that, it's funny, actually, in relation to the, the coffee cups that we, you know, the work that we do in coffee cups, there is often that um, anecdote about brought up about people remembering taking their Fanta bottles back to the dairy to get their 10 cent pieces um, mm -hmm. once the bottles were empty. And, you know, it really does have a sense of what goes around comes around and harking back to harking back to our youth. Well, I definitely remember, uh, so I spent a little bit of my time in California and they had a five cents for glass bottles, I think. And right. as a child, you know, like finding a glass bottle, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, we used to rifle through the, the rubbish bins and, you know, the neighbors would have a party and you'd rifle through the rubbish bins and get the Fanta bottles <laughs> so yeah, you exactly. could get up to the dairy <laughs> and get the money back. And, and of course, the other one was the milk bottles. Um, you'd put your money in the milk bottle yeah. and put it at the gate at nighttime in the morning there'd be fresh milk yep. and of course all that's coming back too yeah yeah it's amazing what goes around comes around huh indeed i think i think we're starting to understand that the you know many of the systems that we have created for ourselves that have served us in terms of convenience actually are not serving us in terms of looking after the planet so yeah. that's probably the segue into what we're doing <laughs> well i know that this is going to be a theme throughout our conversation but before we get to that can you just describe then coming through your sort of high school years and like what sort of things did you enjoy did you at that point have an environmental bent or when did that start to emerge no the environmental the environmental um, thing came quite a lot later, really. Um, I what did I do at high school? I was I was sort of an arty type, and I was in I was in the drama, the drama club, and did speeches and things like that. Um, and then and I also um, I wasn't particularly sporty, but I did ski. So in winter, I would be on the mountain, and right. um, and that theme sort of followed through. Um, through university and then I had a couple of seasons where I was working in the ski industry so that stayed with me for a while but then I went through quite a number of career changes too so from school went to university I studied as um, to be a physiotherapist and went straight into that and mm -hmm. definitely kept up with my skiing and actually if anything became more sports focused at that stage because I got involved with you know, just got more physical and got involved with sports teams. Okay. Yeah, and that took me around the world. Um, this is an intersection point with my life because when, in 1998, when the Nagano Olympics were on, um, mm -hmm. I moved to Japan for three months. Huh. And I was working up there at a ski resort um, in a place called Akakura, which was right near Nagano, and then got to ski in the daytime, you know, and vacuum floors, later <laughs> um but it was a great experience i loved it so so i did that too actually i did that i had a um summer holiday exchange program and went to canada and i was in lake louise doing precisely that we okay. would we would we would clean hotel rooms and apartments um in the big complex there 
and then we'd be finished by about lunchtime, have lunch, and then we'd head up to the mountain and um, ski and snowboard for the rest of the day. Yep. And then if it was really stunning weather, everyone would, would dash up the hill and have a couple of hours and then come back to finish up later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Good times. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that was before we got serious about jobs and, and careers and, and saving the world. <laughs> yeah, well, but basically the appeal to me to go, I'd done three years at university and they said, we'll pay part of your flight, we'll give you free accommodation, there will be no cost for food, and we'll pay you a tiny amount, it was a very small amount, but we'll give you a lift mm-hmm. pass and you can ski as well. So it was pretty easy decision as a 20, 21 year old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had a, we had a pretty similar arrangement. I think we got the ski pass, definitely lunches, possibly some dinners, um, our pittance for the work that we did, yep. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, we had the, the pass was gold and, um, and being able to live in the resort, especially up there, Lake Louise doesn't have any, um, domestic homes. And so if you're going to stay, in that close to the mountain, then you actually have to uh, live or work in the in the park. It was, they were glorious times. That's amazing. Very, my wife, yeah. my wife would be very jealous because she's always said I would love to go visit Lake Louise. It's just an iconic place, isn't it? Ah, uh, just so beautiful, so beautiful. Actually, very like New Zealand in a lot of respects, but almost on steroids. You know, everything is bigger. The mountains are bigger, and the mm. the peaks are bigger. Um, Although I'm sure there's people in the South Island and in the Southern Alps that might challenge that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there, there can be beauty around the world, right? So what happened next? You, you came back to New Zealand or? Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. So um, what happened next? I came back to New Zealand. I finished my physiotherapy degree. So that was my first degree. Um, and then I launched into uh, my career. I had 10 or 11 years working um, clinically, and that continued to take me around the world. So um, physio is a great profession to, um, to travel on, mm-hmm. to be able to pick things up and do some work and make some decent money and then travel on again. So I did that for a while, and then, and then I accidentally started a business, really, in London. So that was my first foray into uh, entrepreneurship. And um, that was in the physiotherapy industry, but that was definitely where I started to get my taste for, for business and um, solving, solving problems for people. Mm. Uh, from, a, from a clinical perspective, I'm not a particularly um, patient or, or sort of compassionate person. So that part of it didn't, probably didn't serve me particularly well. It probably didn't serve my patients very well either. <laughs> but... Um, but my real focus was was the strategy, and I'd I'd specialised in workplace wellness, and so really took that strategic lens on how we could put systems together to help people to to perform better physically and in their health, but within their workplace. Mm. And I had a very um, surreal at the end there. I had a very surreal couple of months where I was choosing between going on and uh, studying further, doing my masters in probably industrial psychology. Uh, or looking to come back to New Zealand and change career entirely. Mm-hmm. In the end, I chose I chose the latter, so came back to New Zealand, and that was when I had a bit of money behind me, and I had a taste for business, but I still had this creative thing that I'd never really done anything with, and so it was a bit of an opportunity to stretch that. I went back to Massey University and did. Um, um, 
graduate diploma in uh, fashion design and then launched a fashion company. <laughs> and even at that stage, actually, my sustainability um, and waste ethics and ideas hadn't come to the fore. Mm-hmm. And so I had another 10 years of that career, and we set up a business. Um, we had three stores and a team of 14, and we were designing clothes and retailing them. Um, we had a degree of success, but then sort of fell foul of the market changing in New Zealand and things going um, you know there's a lot of really great quality stock coming in at much cheaper prices from overseas and at the same time my sustainability values were really growing and I'd started to feel like whilst there was some real value for me in designing the in designing clothing and being creative in my own world I didn't really feel like I was contributing to what was an increasing awareness of the problems of the world in general Mm -hmm. and so that was when my sustainability side of things really started to kick in and I started as as many if not most people do started looking at my own behaviors and my own actions and and uh, working out that there were better ways that I could behave or act that would would um, step more would mean that I would step more lightly on the world, mm. and so it's that interesting to me because it's actually um, you know you've described multiple careers at least three. <laughs> yes, this um, is definitely the third. <laughs> this is the theme, isn't it? Like that, but that you got quite involved in the first one, the wellness at work, which is certainly growing and growing in popularity, and people are more and more aware of that these days, aren't they? For me, though, because people often look at those three careers and and can't reconcile or can't link them, but for me, it was the business side of it that mm-hmm. or, that is the theme, and I have I've always really thrived on, mm-hmm. and then, like I say, increasingly focused on solving the problems of the world rather than, you know, initially it was the problems of individual people with physiotherapy. Um, I don't know that we were solving many problems by designing beautiful uh, clothing, but it certainly served me, but it definitely had that commercial focus. And then, and then as I moved into sustainability, it was that business side of things that I brought with me. So my first professional job in sustainability was for sustainability trust in Wellington. I was in the leadership team there mm-hmm. and, and I was brought in there explicitly to, to, build a commercial um, model and a, a, a commercially sustainable model around the sustainability practices that the trust was involved with excluding their homes. So in the sustainability trust is really known for supporting Wellingtonians to live in warm, dry, healthy homes. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it for many years. They do it very, very well. They, they combine um, the, the commerce of it with the ethics of it and and really can't go, f- you know, that's social enterprise right there. They, mm. they do an excellent job. But then they also have their fingers in many pies, education and a little bit of retail. They've got a, they've got a um, venue space. And all of those things, whilst they are all really valuable to the community, were not performing commercially. So I was brought in to be involved in the commercial performance of, of that. Right. And that was, when, that was when I really started to believe in um, social enterprise as a way forward for the world. You know, like yeah. It was like this, um, this eye-opening moment for me that I 
first started to understand that those two things not only could be combined, but but in but but actually are most powerful when they're combined. Yeah, and, um, it's interesting though because when what you're describing is these um, you know the background of the businesses that you've been involved in, and then really kind of refocusing and taking probably the skills and the expertise and the things that you'd learned yeah. from the coding I, from the physiotherapy business. I ca- certainly, I came. I came to all of those businesses with the business side of things first. And then of course, in this, in this most recent and cognizantly held in equal value. So, you know, we absolutely are focused on creating a positive impact in the world, but we are just as focused about building a profitable business model that can be sustained and grown and grown and grown because that's where we can really develop our impact. Yeah. And that's a pretty thrilling space for me to be in you know I feel great about being in that space I get up in the morning I'm like yes it's work again (laughs) (laughs) well that's the right attitude so talk us through again again and you know where did the idea come from and (laughs) and how long has it been going and yeah I'd love to learn a little bit more great so again again is a reusable coffee cup lending system that allows people to take away without the throwaway um it came from it sort of grew out of the work that I was doing at Sustainability Trust. And my uh, education team and I were putting together a program that was supporting businesses in their sustainability practice, but with a particular lens on waste. And so the team were literally going through the waste bins and looking to see what was in the rubbish and then supporting behavior change. But it became really obvious to me that in the absence of systems, to change the behavior that there was a um, that the impact was only ever as strong as a small group of committed people would be and that actually the need for a different system not just for that workplace but for the whole community was needed Mm -hmm. so um, I had a bit of a light bulb moment and uh, imagined again again and uh, was probably pretty hungry to get back into entrepreneurship at that stage and so quit my job the next day and was all about it. Um, actually, after a bit of Google research, realized that I was by far not the first person to have come up with this idea. There's, there's probably a dozen systems around the world that predate again again. But the opportunity for change is enormous. And not just with cups, but with all single-use items, which actually are, are prevalent among certainly all hospitality industries, but actually all sorts of industries. And so it struck me as an eye-watering opportunity both to create positive impact, but also as a a business opportunity. Solving a problem in a commercial sense is is a great business opportunity. So everything aligned and here we are. That's great. Yeah. What are some of the statistics um, around, um, you know, the numbers of cups and things? Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be impressed with <laughs> in a bad way how many cups <laughs> yeah every day so, yeah. so in new zealand 295 million single-use cups go to landfill each year or go to landfill and into nature each year mm. um in australia it's uh it's two in australia it's a billion in the uk it's 2.5 billion and then if you look at it globally it's 600 billion cups that are used each year so even just if you consider single-use cups, the, the scale of the problem is, is enormous. And then once you start bringing in um, 
a market review looking at single-use items, for example, you know, thin-walled sushi containers, that type of thing, then yep. that market is as big, if not bigger, again. And that's with one of those containers. But it just it just goes on. It goes it goes on and on to the point where it becomes the numbers almost become irrelevant because they're so big that <laughs> um, that it's it's hard to imagine them. Yeah, as soon as you get into the billions, it's hard to imagine a billion cups. But yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so six hundred billion cups. You know, let's let's say there's twenty items, then you're starting to get up into the trillions, and and it really genuinely is that big. And of course, everybody is really, um, many people are very comfortable with the whole "well, it's just one little cup" argument. But like anything, once you put many of them together, it creates a big problem. Yeah, for sure. So the solution, can you just walk us through how that works practically? So, so our, our current solution only applies to coffee cups. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a wee bit later about that. I don't think it's the solution to everything, but it certainly is a solution in the coffee cup um, uh, context. We provide a fleet, that's the word we use for the cups and lids, we provide a fleet of stainless steel cups and silicon lids into the cafes and customers when they order their coffee can choose to borrow one of our cups for a $3 deposit. And then when that cup and lid goes back to any of our network partner cafes, that $3 is fully refunded. So provided customers do take the cup back, then it's cost neutral for the customers. It doesn't cost them anything. Right. And then from, a, from the perspective of solving the wider problem um, we don't foresee that that model will be able to be uh, sort of replicated across every industry because there are actually few industries where there's a perceived common unit like there is in the coffee like there is with coffee cups and so going forward it's our intention to create a technology platform that will allow the individual businesses who we're serving with that platform to choose what the reusable vessel that's appropriate to their food or drink will be, and then to use to use the the technology that we build to be able to for customers to be able to check that vessel out, but like a library book. And again, provided it comes back within a reasonable period of time, they won't get um, charged for it. And once you start, once you become vessel agnostic, and also don't um, don't put a shared requirement like across multiple businesses, then we can we can see or we can envision that that can actually serve the entire industry, and that's where we're going with um, we've we've signed an MOU with Garage Project in Wellington, and we'll be working with them to to create a workflow that allows them to loan out probably a glass flagon to their customers in place of what is currently a, a brown PET bottle, which is a really, really low-grade plastic and, and almost entirely ends up as waste. Mm. So it's, an, it's a system that is a, it is a systemic approach that's a, applicable across, across one or many businesses or, or shared arrangements like Again Again. So Again Again's coffee cup solution will become one shared arrangement within of potentially many that will be able to use the technology platform to to facilitate the that ease of use and um, not losing the value of of cups yeah so what you're really talking about is like an ecosystem that this is one piece of the puzzle but that it might fit in with lots of others and the interesting thing to me is you know like if we look at our homes 
you know, most of us wouldn't sort of get out uh, a, a plate and then throw it away or a cup and then throw it away. <laughs> and yet that's what we do when we go out to eat at a takeaway or something like that, right? Yeah, totally. And it, it does all come down to systems because if the system is seamless and easy to use, then people will fall into using it with a lot of ease. You think about um, gas bottles or soda stream refill um, bottles, all of those have created a, a system which makes it really easy not to consider throwing them away. And, and actually, that's what we can and, and will create for, for, for vessels that will become the alternative to single-use vessels that are currently used. Yeah, it is. It's just when you think about it, when you sort of take you widen your lens and, and actually think about it, it's just insane that we're throwing all of this stuff away. You know, it's insane from a material perspective. It's insane from a commercial perspective because every one of those is being paid for. And yes, it's only a few cents, but again, you add all of that up and it's billions of dollars that we're throwing away. Yeah. And, and of course, if you take that further, you know, if you get on a flight that's international and you're served a breakfast and a lunch and a dinner or something, think of all the plastic cutlery that's there and, you know, all the yeah. bits and pieces. There's a lot of uh, stuff which presumably just gets thrown away. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had decades now of that being normalized. You know, everyone does it and therefore it's fine because because everyone does it right and so i think what we really need to do is 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 challenge that and normalize reuse in the take in takeaway culture it, mm. it's it's totally doable but it is a combination of providing infrastructure and systems which make it easy easy but also leading people on that behavior change journey so that it becomes it becomes normal and we've seen, you know, we've seen our community en masse create that behavior change and normalize that behavior change in other industries. You know, once upon a time, it was normal to smoke in pubs. And now we don't. And nobody, or, you know, few people think about us not smoking in pubs these days as, as abnormal. It's just how we do things now because we have changed as a society and normalized not smoking in pubs. Yeah. It's the same plastic bags at the supermarket. Um, you know, there really are, there really, there really are many examples of us creating that societal change. Yeah, it's um, fascinating, but, isn't it? And I interviewed Francis Valentine recently from the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab, and we were we were talking about the disposable way that we often our culture is in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, like I want the latest phone or I want the latest whatever, I want the latest, you know, household items that you almost buy them knowing that they're going to break and you're going to have to buy a new one to replace what you've just bought. Um, Well, many times they're designed like that too, you know. If you design something to last forever, then you can't sell it to a customer twice. Yeah. (laughs) So that was the example she gave. She said she went to a friend's house and um, they had a vacuum cleaner, which was from like 1970 or something, but it was well-made metal you know it 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 just kept working whereas Mm. most other um appliances are well the worst is my my children's toys to be honest when i go Mm. and you look at the transformers or the whatevers and you just think this is going to fall apart within a week and it's plastic and it's yeah it's just not a great uh not a great message is it yep it is ubiquitous that that the pressure of normalized 
waste. Yeah. And, you know, I feel it with my kids too. All my kids want is sugar and plastic, <laughs> various, <laughs> various different guises. And often together, often they want, you know, sugar wrapped in plastic inside a plastic toy or, you know, just it goes on and on. And, and we've normalized it. We've made that normal because, because actually it's easier to buy into that than not. And I find myself, you know, like I'm pretty militant, I'd have to say with my kids, I'm, we're not ones to, to buy that stuff without thinking about it very heavily, but I currently have my nine-year-old son asking me to have his birthday party at timeout. And I'm not sure that I can do it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I would be lying if I said I'm not considering it because that, that is what's going to, in his mind, that's what's going to make his, his nine-year-old, ten-year-old birthday complete. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that, a, and then it's interesting when you go to the supermarket or where, whatever shop, you know, and right where you come to pay, there's the Kinder Surprise you know, mm. you think about Kinder mm. Surprise, it's exactly what you said. Um, yeah, you know, that's what, plasticky I was, that was thing. what I was describing. <laughs> yeah, with chocolate and then a little plastic toy that you know is going to be broken within a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is. You found the reception in terms of generational, I don't know, when you're talking with young people, do you find that they get it immediately as opposed to older people, or is it pretty universal? No, no, definitely, it's not universal. Definitely millennials get it immediately. Yeah. And, are, and are also prepared to, not, well, not that they're paying for it, of course, because it's cash flow neutral as long as it goes back, but they're prepared to pay the $3 and get on with it for the sake of being part of the solution equation, we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely not the case with older clientele because, you know, they've had many more decades to become entrenched in what is normal mm. and, and fewer of those decades challenging what is normal. So um, absolutely the most, some of the most successful um, cafes that we work with who do really, really well with again, again, are the ones that are on the campuses. And so, you know, the campuses ha- immediately have that buy-in from the, from the, from the customers, the end users. Right. But then because of that, they then have the confidence to say, you know what, we're just going to, we're just going to go, we're, we're going to go to full commitment and get rid of single use cups and create a new way of doing things around here. So we've got, um, Lincoln university has done that. I know that Otago Uni- university has done it, but not with us. They've done it with a different system. Um, Canterbury university is sizing up to get there with us. Um, the, the whole campus at Auckland Zoo has done it because there's the commercial safety in that situation. No one's going to cross the road at the zoo and go somewhere else to get their coffee because actually their only options are the coffee shops that are in the zoo. And, you know, they just said, right, we've got a better system. We're not going to have the old system. And they just at the zoo, they, they keep 160,000 cups a year out of the landfill and they save themselves like $50,000. <laughs> no brainer. <laughs> And it's that, it's that full commitment, young people having the leaders in an area behind it and saying, this is, this is how we're going to do things now. We're going to change the way that we are doing things because there's a better way of doing things. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk with you and just hear the background and understand more on the context, because I think this is a great example of what the future represents if more people can get on board. Um, And and it's great to hear that the younger generation is able to see the vision and grasp it because yeah, that's awesome because it makes (laughs) me think where's the other areas that are not related to what you're doing, but are definitely 
wasteful. And I, I mean, I'm just thinking an example, like, you know, I drive my car from my house to my work where it sits for eight hours or whatever. And then I drive it home. Like it's very inefficient using, mm. um, uh, an asset. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's, that will change quickly too. If you're to believe Simon Sinek, um, he will tell you that that will change within 10 years. We won't own cars. We will, we will just order them and they will arrive and take us from A to B poss- possibly autonomously sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, um, and again, it will be the younger people who can conceive of that. The older generations are still thinking that they're going to buy a new ice car. And, you know, in five years time, no one will be producing them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're going to miss out. And I guess that's where commerce comes in because it will be, it will be cheaper. It, it already is cheaper to buy a, um, or to run an electric car such that the cost of buying an EV is offset by the cost, by the cheaper cost of running it. And, you know, all of those things will eventually move because the market makes it easier. And we're exactly the same. Um, mm. the, the cafes and the, the, our future vendors who are hospitality providers but using other single-use items are paying for those. And once people, once those vendors understand that they will actually save literally thousands of dollars by getting rid of them entirely, then it becomes a no-brainer. While we're still in this transition phase where things are integrated and um, people can, can choose, you know, would you like to have an again-again cup or would you like to have a single-use cup, then people default back to the single-use cups and actually the cafe are not are not saving enough money on those single-use cups to make it a no-brainer. It's that total commitment and changing the system rather than providing an alternative system. Mm. That is where the, you know, the finances stack up and it, and it totally works. Yeah, it makes sense. You need the full buy-in to, for the mm. system to become a functioning, fully functioning system. And I'm interested as well, you, you've made the decision to go um, through crowdfunding to try to raise some funds and things. What was your thinking behind that? Um, I, I can guess, but I'd be curious um, from, from your perspective in terms of building your um, presence and, and letting people know about it. Yeah, so, so crowdfunding, we're definitely at the point now where we've proven the model. We have a vision for how we can extend that model to different industries and to different different vessels and um, and actually take it global. You know, we can create a system that really is applicable on a global scale. Um, and that necessitates um, capital raising. And there, there are various different ways of doing that. The real benefit of capital raising via um, crowdfunding is that it's also a, a PR campaign, a marketing campaign, and we create a network and a, um, a community around the kaupapa and around supporting what we want to see as a societal change that then actually feeds into that as well and so um, I think already we've had I think it's I think we're up to 90 um, pledges who have all jumped on that train and said we want to see this and by putting their own money on the line and owning a part of the company, they then become ambassadors and cheerleaders for you. And then, and then those conversations are gold when they're having their coffees in their communities or they're getting curries from their corner store and they talk to those people about it. And so we felt that crowd that because we were such a um, 
because the kaupapa was so focused on the community that actually inviting the community in to be able to be part of the journey from a commercial perspective as well was valuable for, for everyone, for us and for our community. Yeah, it makes sense, particularly an initiative like this where you want the word to be spread and you want mm. those unofficial ambassadors out there who are rocking up to their local cafe and saying, hey, have you heard of this? Yeah, and actually when we before we went before we put the campaign together, we did some market research and we asked people what you know, we we're intending to equity crowdfund other than shares, what is it that you'd like as a perk to, you know, make this make this better for you? And we were blown away by the answer. The 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 the, the loudest, strongest answer was nothing we just want to be part of it which in itself blew us away but then the next stage was the next sort of most popular answer was something that will make it easier for my local cafe to sign up and so whether that's um covering the cost of their get start their start now kit or whether that was um a reduced monthly fee or whatever it was if you put them all into that category it was about the people who are investing in the company and becoming shareholders also being able to facilitate their their immediate um, local cafes to become part of it as well. So that was really heartening. That was a that was like a real um, feel good moment where we validated that building that crowd was exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you've got different people listening. Some will be interested to find out more. And what we'll do is put in the show notes links to the current um, fundraising that you're doing. But also people may be interested in just knowing that cafes have this option. So is there, should we direct them to your website to find out where uh, they can be part of this or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um the crowdfunding campaign is on Pledge Me. Um, I think we're on the front page there, and we've got another week and a bit of that to go. So if if people are interested in investing, then we would definitely love to hear from them via the Pledge Me platform. Um, our own website is www.againagain.co, and we have we have, we've made a real effort to really publish everything. Everything is well laid out. If you're a cafe who wants to come on board, then then we've created a journey which is mostly uh, automated and pretty seamless these days to help you come on board. Um, if you're a coffee drinker, then all of that information is there for you to be able to inspire your local cafes as well. So plenty of ways to get involved. Oh, that's really great. Well, we can put in the show notes some links to things. Um, yeah, and in terms yeah, of... Yeah, thank you, Stephen. No problem. You know, in terms of like 10 years from now, what's your, what's your big vision or what are you hoping? Like it's 2030 now and uh, you look back 10 years ago and you reflect on all the changes. Can you outline what that future looks like? Oh my gosh, what an exciting question. <laughs> um, that future has normalized reuse in takeaways. So the normal thing to do will be to order your curry and have it be delivered in, in a, a reusable container that you'll have a couple of weeks to get back to the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe and envision that again, again, can, um, can provide the system that will normalize that. And I'd like to believe that we can have that influence globally. We're already connected to a, to a global group that is working in the space. And it is an eye-watering opportunity, both in terms of, of the 
just the scale of the impact that we can have and that we can, more importantly, that we can empower our community to have. This really is about societal change. Mm. Well, that's what's come through in the interview. And I particularly appreciated your talking about the generational shifts that are happening. And I, yeah, I, I do hope that um, we can get there. Because uh, I interview a lot of people for this podcast, and there's definitely people who are doing this type of initiative where I take heart from it because it's no longer so much about, well, how much money have I earned and how big is my car and, you know, the status symbols that have been important in the past. And it's more about, well, actually I'm living on this planet and you are too. And the fact that (laughs) we haven't taken great care of it uh, is something that we can all do something about. Yeah, I take heart in that too. I think increasingly, you know, the 20-year-olds the of this world are the ones who really have got the, the power in that respect. They have to stop yearning after sugar wrapped in plastic first. <laughs> they can really kind of take their responsibility. And, and I see that all the time. I, um, I've been privileged enough to be in a sort of startup community for many, many years now and have seen you know some waves of people coming through who who have increasingly have that hold that kaupapa really um close yeah that's really good and and can i just lay out one of the challenges in case it isn't black and white for people is what is your business producing (laughs) what are you making because i think this is a point where sometimes there's a disconnect between the values and the ethics of the individual people and the company and what's being produced and certainly when I look at some companies and I, and I look at basically they're producing water that's polluted by sugar and additives and all of these other things that then that children are then, you know, wanting and drinking. It's like, this isn't, this isn't a good product itself, you know, inherently. Um, but it, it, uh, of course, hopefully a hundred years from now, our great, great grandchildren will listen to this and say, yeah, everything changed. But for right now it's, it's quite a big leap from having those personal convictions to then saying, well, what are we going to do about it collectively or in our business? How are we going to change what we produce and what we do? And this applies whatever business you're in, not just in the one that you're, you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's a journey. Um, Nothing is, nothing is um, easy or perfect. It's a, it's a wiggly line from where we are to where we need to get to. So I yeah. applaud anyone who's working in that space and um, is committing to, you know, changing the playbook and moving us to that future that can be and will be so much better than it is now. Yeah. Well, that's really awesome. Well, my aim with the podcast is to encourage people with stories. And I think people who are listening now will be encouraged by your story. I really enjoyed hearing about your um, early years and then um, the multiple careers that you've had before you've gotten involved (laughs) with again, again. And, you know, I, I, I actually, I'm always encouraged by people like you who've taken their past and their expertise in business and then um, thought about how can I do this in a regenerative way rather than an extractive way. And so the more people we can encourage along that sort of mindset shift is, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be better for our future. But I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we'll put some links in the show notes for people to find out more and um, all the best in the coming weeks and beyond. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Thanks for the opportunity. I um I always love a good story, and <laughs> and I think there is a good story to be told here, 
just in terms of it is a journey and we are in a place where things can be better, but we have an opportunity to move forward to a place where things will be better. So, mm. yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share that, especially at a time when we're crowdfunding. Thanks for um, the opportunity to invite your listeners to consider that too. Yeah, no problem. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nada. I know for me there were several things that stood out. In particular, I just really enjoyed that talking about the future, and I do wonder what people will think listening back to this podcast in decades to come. Were we at the groundswell of a new way of approaching things? Or, well, I don't even want to go there. If you enjoyed this, then don't forget there's heaps more content in the back catalog, and there's some links in the show notes to the things that we discussed, including Again Again's website and the Pledge Me campaign. Until next time! Mm-hmm.